0: Hello, and welcome to the reading of the Mason City Globe-Gazette and the Fort Dodge Messenger for Tuesday, February 27, 2024. I am your reader, Grace Barter. In today's news from Mason City, the Cerro Gordo County Board of Supervisors on Monday voted 2-1 to one to hire an investigative team from Democratic State Auditor Rob Sands' office to look into alleged misuse of the county postage meter by Cerro Gordo County Auditor Adam Wedmore. At its meeting, the board addressed allegations that Wedmore, a Democrat, entered the courthouse over a weekend and used the postage meter for what appears to be campaign mailings associated with his current re-election run. Republican county supervisor Casey Callanan said i was made aware that our county auditor Adam Wedmore inappropriately according to Iowa code 68A used the county postage meter after hours specifically on the weekend for a political fundraising mailer regarding his reelection campaign Supervisors ultimately decided to initiate an investigation by Sands office with fellow Democrat Laurie meacham Ginep and Callanan concurring and Republican Supervisor Chris Watts voting nay. Callanan and Watts sparred lightly over the vote, with Callanan telling Watts, I think that this is of the utmost importance, and I'm quite frankly astonished that this board won't support this inquiry, unanimously. According to Watts, his no vote was based on advice he received from the Cerro Gordo county attorney and sheriff. Callanan responded, that was on a criminal matter that had nothing to do with the state auditor. I'm just following directions, Watts replied. Callanan shot back with, then you must not have understood the directions. Do you want to re-vote? Watts then declined to change his vote. When asked about his dissent, he told the Globe-Gazette he is adhering to advice from the county attorney and sheriff to not speak publicly on the matter. As of press time, Wedmore could not be reached for comment. Additionally, inquiries made to Rob Sands' office were not immediately returned. A Mason City man who allegedly carried a rifle into a bar last fall before fleeing from police and firing a shot into the ground while being apprehended, will be tried on weapons and drug charges in a federal court. Court documents indicate the Mason City Police Department received a report about an armed male involved in a disturbance just before midnight at Laredo's on Federal Plaza, On November 18th, the suspect fled out back when officers arrived. An officer followed the suspect, identified as Terrell Harlan Hopkins, and ordered him to take his hands out of his pockets and surrender. Police Chief Jeff Brinkley said Hopkins was carrying an AR rifle, which went off at the feet of Hopkins and the officer while Hopkins was being taken into custody. No one was injured in the incident. According to documents filed in federal court on February 14th, Hopkins, 23, has been charged with one count of possession of a weapon by a felon, drug user, and person convicted of domestic assault, and one count of possession with the intent to to distribute a controlled substance. Iowa court records have not been updated, however, state charges are typically dropped once they are escalated to a federal court. Alongside the federal charges, Hopkins is scheduled to be tried next month in district court with trafficking of a stolen weapon used in a crime, third-degree theft, carrying a dangerous weapon while intoxicated, interference with official acts while armed, public intoxication and reckless use of a firearm. There is a report out that points to alcohol as possible factor in Iowa's high cancer rates. John Stokes has survived cancer twice. His treatment for voice box cancer was successful after being diagnosed 13 years ago, and he is once again cancer-free after receiving surgery to remove what doctors in 2022 identified as head and neck cancer. Almost 169,000 Iowans are cancer survivors like Stokes, according to the 2024 Cancer in Iowa report, but about 6,100 are expected to die from it this year, alongside an estimated 21,000 who are diagnosed with new invasive cancer cases. Health care experts discussed the report's findings Tuesday at a news conference. Iowa once again has the second highest rate of new cancer cases in the U.S., according to the report, alongside the fastest growing rate of new cancers. The state also reports the fourth highest incidence of alcohol-related cancers in the country and the highest in the Midwest, facts which Stokes called astounding. As someone who confronted his alcoholism and quit drinking a long time ago, Stokes said it might have made a difference in his life if he knew how alcohol could contribute to the chances of developing cancer. It's never too late to reduce your risk of alcohol-related cancer, Stokes said. As a head and neck cancer survivor, I want to make sure that Iowans know that alcohol can cause cancer. And if you're thinking about making the move to drink less, reducing your chance of risk is a great motivation itself. Panelists at the news conference cited alcohol usage as a possible driver in Iowa's cancer rates and emphasized that there needs to be policies and other efforts put in place to try and lower alcohol abuse across the board. No one thing leads to developing cancer, Charlton Mary Car- Charlton, director of the Iowa Cancer Registry at the University of Iowa said. Rather, it's a group of multiple factors coming together to impact cells. These factors can include genetics, environment, behaviors, and more. Alcohol can contribute to these factors, and when combined with other things like tobacco use or HPV, the risks can become even greater. Alcohol can result in damage of the genetic material in cells. At the same time, it reduces your body's ability to repair that DNA, and so that's kind of a double whammy that can lead to accumulation of mutations. The accumulation of mutations that can drive cancer, said Michael Henry, interim director of the University of Iowa Holden Comprehensive Cancer Center. But even more than that, it can also cause inflammation and affect the function of our immune system. And that can actually cause cancers that have developed to be worse and have worse consequences. Risks come from how many units of alcohol are being consumed rather than what kind of alcohol is being consumed, Charlton said. And the report stated reducing alcohol consumption at all can lead to reduced risks of developing cancer. Binge drinking poses the greatest risks, she said, and 22% of Iowans report binge drinking, compared to the 17% national average. Across all demographics, including age, race, sex, income level, and more, Iowans binge drink more than the national average. Alcohol has been shown to heighten the risk of developing cancer in the esophagus, colon, and rectum, oral cavity, pharynx, and larynx, as well as female breast cancer. According to the report, Iowa ranks in the top 10 of the highest rates of new cases of oral cavity and pharyngeal, esophageal, colorectal, and female breast cancers. Charlton said breast, prostate, lung, and colorectal cancers make up around half of all cancer cases in Iowa, and they topped the list of expected cancers in 2024. Only 40% of adults know that alcohol consumption increases the risk of developing cancer, according to the report. And according to state data, Iowans spent $446 million last year on liquor sales at businesses holding Class E liquor licenses, like grocery and convenience stores. That number has steadily climbed since 2012 when two hundred fifty five million was spent and thirty three million dollars has already been spent this year. The report also went over possible solutions for decreasing alcohol consumption, citing the Iowa Cancer Consortium's Iowa Cancer Plan strategies of educating the public on alcohol consumption and cancer, creating environments that reduce and prevent excessive alcohol consumption, and increasing screening and treatment for excessive alcohol use. Some ways to curb heightened drinking include controlling alcohol prices through taxes and minimum unit pricing, discouraging over-serving alcohol, and encouraging better practices through laws holding businesses liable for injuries and damages caused by intoxicated patrons and other regulatory policies. The report stated health care providers could also curb drinking by conducting screening and brief interventions in order to identify excessive drinking habits and have discussions with their patients about the risks involved and ways to make changes. Leaving it to individuals to make that choice on their own has still gotten us to the number two highest cancer rate in the country, Charlton said. I think it's definitely time to look at a population level. What are the things that we can do at a population level? Whether it's policy, legislation, programming, things like that, that make it easier to make the healthy choices and harder to make the less healthy choices. And also, out of Des Moines, lawmakers are pushing for eminent domain legislation. As opponents of carbon capture pipelines continue to lobby lawmakers for restrictions on eminent domain, the prospect of legislative action on the controversial projects this year is unclear. Proposed pipelines to capture CO2-emitted at ethanol plants for underground storage have sparked controversy over the last few years as landowners opposed to the use of eminent domain and environmentalists have lobbied to block their construction. The projects are backed by Iowa's ethanol and agricultural industries as a vital tool for boosting profits and breaking into new markets. Earlier this month, House lawmakers advanced House File 2522 out of committee. This bill would allow landowners affected by an eminent domain proceeding to petition a court to determine their rights and the constitutionality of the eminent domain request the court would be able to determine before the iowa utilities board makes a final decision whether the use of eminent domain to involuntarily take land is warranted by the proposed project that decision could be appealed to higher courts the bill originally would have allowed one-fifth of either chamber of the state legislature to pause eminent domain proceedings, but that piece of the bill was received and removed in committee. Representative Steve Holt of Denison, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, said it would make the process more fair for all parties. We also don't think that it would be a bad thing for the energy companies as well, who might spend millions and millions of dollars only to find out at the end of the process that it wasn't constitutional. Holt said, two pipelines are proposed in Iowa to capture CO2 produced at ethanol plants and store it in underground reservoirs. Summit Carbon Solutions has proposed a five-state pipeline that would cross 721 miles in Iowa. The company has asked for eminent domain authority along the route of the project. The project is awaiting approval from the Iowa Utilities Board. Another company, Wolf Carbon Solutions, proposes building a smaller pipeline covering five eastern Iowa counties. The company has said it does not intend to use eminent domain for its construction. Summit has not taken a position on the House bill to allow court decisions over eminent domain, but Wolf Carbon Solutions has registered opposed to it. The projects are backed by Iowa's ethanol and corn growers groups, They say the pipelines are needed to respond to demand for low-carbon fuels in other countries and states and allow Iowa ethanol to be used in sustainable aviation fuel. Opponents of the pipelines say eminent domain should not be used for projects that benefit a private company, and some environmental groups argue they are not an adequate solution for carbon emissions. Summit has said the project will drive economic growth in Iowa and support one of its key industries. The project would include $1.6 billion in capital spending and support 258 jobs in the state by 2027, according to Summit. We're an agricultural company building an infrastructure project to help the next generation of agriculture. Summit CEO Lee Blank said in an interview last year, opening new markets for this ethanol industry where they can drive higher values for the products, those economics will filter to the farm gate. Though House File 2522 passed in the House Judiciary Committee, it has not been taken up for a floor vote, and there is no companion bill in the Senate. The House has passed bills the last two sessions limiting the scope of eminent domain for carbon capture pipeline projects, but they have not received hearings in the Senate. The issue has split both the Republican and Democratic caucuses as competing interests from agriculture, labor, landowners, and environmentalists have led to a wide range of positions on the issue. House Minority Leader Jennifer Conferst said the responsibility is with the Senate to join the conversation on the issue and take up the bill the House passed last year with majorities of both parties. The bill would require a pipeline company to receive 90% of its route through voluntary easements before being granted eminent domain authority. Opponents of the pipeline's have been making weekly trips to the Capitol to urge lawmakers to enact stricter, eminent domain restrictions. Activists say they want a bill that would make it easier for entities and counties to ask uh, for a pause in construction if a pipeline project gets approved by the Iowa Utilities Board and stronger regulations on water usage for the projects. Julie Glade, who owns land in Wright County along Summit Carbon Solutions Route and has not signed an easement with the company, said she wants to see more action from lawmakers on the issue. I think what we need is some regulations, something to protect us from the eminent domain piece. The IUB is three people that can determine that eminent domain, Glade said, and we really need our senators and representatives to step up to try and protect us from three appointed people making that eminent domain decision. If a person attempts to sue a company and pause construction of a pipeline, they would need to pay a bond based on how much money the company expects to lose while the construction continues. The pipeline opponents want to lower the fees, making it easier to seek an injunction on construction. On the prospects of legislative action this year, Iowa Sierra Club Chapter Conservation Action Coordinator Jess Mazur referred to Whitfer's contention that the original House bill placed too much power in the hands of too few lawmakers. We're trying to send that message of that's exactly what's happening to us right now in many instances, Mazur said. Senator Brown and Senator Whitver have too much power in the hands of a few to hold up the will of Iowa to pass this bill. In today's obituaries, Paul Beverly, age 73, of Omaha, passed away on February 22nd after a courageous nine-month battle with pancreatic cancer. Paul was known as one of the good guys by friends, family, and co-workers and never met anyone he couldn't carry on a conversation with. He enjoyed working in the yard, reading, traveling, and fishing. Memories of Paul will be forever cherished by his family and friends. A celebration of life service for Paul are currently pending. John K. Ujic, 77, of West St. Paul, passed away Sunday, February 18th. John loved his cabin on Sullivan Lake, where the family spent most summers for almost 40 years. He was an avid bicycler, participating in long bike tours, spent time on his Harley, and just tinkering on cars, household projects, and anything else he could fix. John retired as the CFO of J&J Distributing and previously worked in finance at Unisys. A memorial service will be 11 a.m. Saturday, May 4th, at Gearty Delmore Plymouth Chapel. 15837th Avenue North with visitation one hour prior to the service. A memorial celebration gathering will immediately follow at Sarah's residence. On to sports news in boys basketball. The Lake Mills boys basketball's state tournament drought was short-lived. The Bulldogs defeated Remsen-St. Mary's, 41-38, on Saturday in the Class 1A-2 Substate Final in Spencer to move on to the 1A state tournament that starts on March 4th. After narrowly missing out on the tournament last year playing in Class 2A, it's the fourth trip in the last five years for the school. All four appearances have come in Class 1A. Saturday's win was a little different than any Lake Mills triumph so far this year, played mostly to the terms of Remsen St. Mary's. The 41 points were a season low, but the 38 points allowed were also one best marks for the Bulldogs, too. After trailing for over 30 minutes of the contest, the Hawks had a chance to take the lead twice in the final minute. A missed three-pointer with 40 seconds left was rebounded by Lake Mills. On the ensuing St. Mary's possession, Logan Bacon came up with a crucial deflection that forced a St. Mary's turnover. Eli Menke hit the free throws as part of his 11-point performance, and the last-second shot from Colin Holman rimmed out. The shot, which came on a nearly full-court inbounds pass, was well defended by Lake Mills but Holman still found a way to get it over multiple defenders and almost through the net to send the game into overtime. Lance Helming led Lake Mills with 12 points in the win, scoring six of those in the fourth quarter to hold off the Hawks. Jackson Gall scored 10. Lake Mills jumped out to an early lead in the first quarter with a 12-0 run and led 12-3 after the period the lead would never shrink below four until the fourth quarter st mary's made a push in the third quarter with six straight points to cut the lead to four before bacon had a crucial and and won his second of the game his second quarter layup though through contact pushed the lead to ten outside of menke's clutch free throws the senior hit three three three-pointers The team finished 8-for-10 from the charity stripe, while the Hawks were 5-for-11. The sights are set on the state tournament for Lake Mills, which begins on March 4th at Wells Fargo Arena in Des Moines. It's a particularly special trip for Lake Mills this season. Kyle and Eli, the father-son duo, get to go together. But for the past 11 years, Kyle has been the coach for this Bulldog group, This is a culmination of the past decade for the eight seniors on the team and Kyle. Lake Mills will see a familiar foe in the first round of the tournament, North Union. The top of Iowa West foes occupied the two top spots in the conference standings this year. Lake Mills on the conference title and their two contests were separated by a combined six points and at times it felt more like a 100-meter sprint than it did a high school basketball game. West Fork head coach Trent Trask said it was one thing to try to prepare for in a practice. It was another thing to experience. Top-ranked North Lynn's up-tempo pace and full-court pressure wore down West Fork on Saturday in a 1A sub-state final at Dyke New Hartford High School. In the end, the Lynx earned a 74-59 victory over the Warhawks to gain their eighth consecutive state of tournament appearance. West Fork did a great job early, surviving a rash of turnovers in the first quarter in a back-and-forth game. The Warhawks led multiple times in the quarter as Sage Sunken, Cade Everling, and Ed- Edison Maskey all hit three-pointers. It took a Ty Flugaupt three-pointer at the buzzer to give North Lynn an 18-17 lead but the Lynx who have played in the last 6 1A state title games stretched their lead to 8 at halftime 35-27 as they never left off the gas the Warhawks opened the third with the first 5 points including a Jack Ward three-pointer that made it 35-32 but North Lynn responded with the next six, and then, after an edison Maskey tray, the Lynx closed the third quarter on a 12-2 run with Gavin Kronk's layup, with one second left, closing West Fork's gap to 53-37. However, the Warhawks were only able to narrow their gap to ten once in the fourth quarter four west fork players scored in double figures led by cronks 14 sunken had 13 maskey 12 and Everling 10 the first 10 minutes of monday night's class 3a2 substate state final was a thing of beauty for clear lake with combination of ball movement shooting aggressiveness at the rim and defense but for as quick as the good came It all crumbled down just as fast against Ballard. The Bombers took advantage of the Lions' mistakes and got 20 points from Jude Gibson to snatch a state tournament bid with a 62-51 win in a chippy affair in Clarion. Clear Lake's season finishes at 22-2. It was a mix of misfortune, mistakes, and superb play from Ballard that derailed a shorthanded and scrappy lion's hopes of reaching next week's state tournament. We just stopped attacking and doing what we did, Coach Jeremy Ainley said. We got a little caught up in not being able to get a call here and there and let that get us out of what we wanted to do. And in some health news, the brain drain is when talented and intelligent people move away from an area in search of stimulating and lucrative work. The opposite of brain drain is when talented, intelligent people return home, much like urologist Dr. Elizabeth Takeax did. After 17 years of both providing care to her patients and teaching residents at the University of Iowa, TACAX has brought her expertise to practice at Mason City Clinic. In Mason City, the doctor plans to use her expertise in women's urology to continue caring for women's needs as well as expanding into general urology. TACACS focuses on two types of urinary incontinence, stress incontinence and urge frequency incontinence. She will provide general urologic care as well as urology issues associated with underlying neurological conditions such as multiple sclerosis and Parkinson's disease. She will also travel to area outreach clinics in order to provide hometown care for Iowa residents. Patients don't need a referral from their primary care physician to see TACACS at the Mason City Clinic. We take physician and self-referrals, TACACS noted. And that does it for the Mason City Globe Gazette for today. Now, we'll switch over to the Fort Dodge Messenger. For Tuesday, February 27th, the final reading of a proposed franchise fee on gas and electric bills to pay for additional city services was tabled by the Fort Dodge City Council at its regular meeting Monday night. The first two readings of the franchise fee were approved by the Council at its January 22nd and February 12th meetings. The final reading was scheduled for Monday's meeting, but the Council voted unanimously to table that reading after receiving a petition from residents to push the fees to a special election. Council approval on three votes is the standard procedure for enacting an ordinance in Fort Dodge. The franchise fees, which would be 5% levies added onto the electric and natural gas bills of mid American Energy customers, would have generated an estimated $2.4 million annually. Part of that revenue would have paid for eight additional police officers. Revenue collected would have also gone to lower that part of the city property tax levy that goes towards paying off general obligation bond debt. Additionally, revenue from the fee would help pay for quality of life and infrastructure initiatives. Fort Dodge resident Scott Davis, who ran for the Ward 1 seat in last year's election, started a petition calling for a referendum vote to approve the fees. He told the messenger last week that around 230 signatures on each proposal would be enough to trigger a special election. The petitions ended up garnering more than 900 signatures. If the franchise fees would be approved, the 1% local option sales tax levied on gas and electric bills would be eliminated. The result would be a net increase of $3.68 per month on average residential electric bills, according to figures provided by the city. There would also be a net increase of $3.18 per month on average residential gas bills, according to those figures. Davis said after the council meeting was adjourned, I'm not against adding more police at all. It's not about adding more police. It's all the other things in there. If it was just for adding more police, I wouldn't be here. Councilman Dave Flattery and Kim Allstott both spoke about the need to generate revenue to continue to offer city services that citizens are accustomed to having. Flattery said, If we go to a public vote and it does not pass, it will be a foregone conclusion that we won't be adding those eight additional police officers. The city has done a good job of maintaining the status quo and avoiding additional cuts. If this doesn't pass, I foresee the council having to make deep cuts. Our revenues have been flat and our expenses are rising. Allstott said at the February 12th council meeting that the governor and legislature adjusted the rollback figures which determine how much of a property's value is taxable. He said the state promised to give local communities money to replace what they lost due to that change, but now, he said, the state is reducing that backfill money. He said at last night's meeting, we are reacting to what the state has done to us. This isn't something we want to do, but we have to. Dave is right. If we don't pass this, we'll have to make cuts. We are losing revenue, and we can't provide the services you want. Flattery said at the February 12th council meeting that the city is facing a $450,000 general fund deficit in the twenty-four twenty-five budget because of changes in Iowa code. Fort Dodge Chief of Police Dennis Quinn also addressed the council before the vote to table the final reading. He thanked the council for listening to him and other officers speak about the need for additional officers. City Manager David Ferkey said the next step is for the council to propose a resolution to hold a special election. He said special elections can be held in September November or March he said it was probably too close to have the election held this March in other business the council voted unanimously to award a contract for the south downtown drainage improvements project phase 2 rash in construction of fort dodge was unanimously awarded the project rash was the only company to submit a bid said mayor matt bemrich This is a good project, and I am glad to see it awarded to a local contractor. The final bid was $3,876,000 for bid Alternate A, which included plain cement concrete or PCC roadway construction for the southern portion of the project along 3rd Avenue South and 12th Street. A second bid, bid Alternate B, included hot-mix asphalt, or HMA, roadway construction for the area. PCC was recommended by the engineering staff and Snyder and & Associates. The project will be funded through the Storm u- Water Utility. Ferkey said the project should be able to start this spring. He estimated it would be completed in about two years. Phase 1 was bid in February of 2021, and the project was awarded to S.M. Henkes and Sons of Jordan, Minnesota. Work on Phase 1 was completed in August of 2022. A Humboldt middle school teacher faces two felony charges accusing her of having illegal sexual contact with a female student. Samantha Meyer-Davis, 31 of Rutland turned herself into the Humboldt County Sheriff's Office Monday after a warrant was issued for her arrest, according to a media release from Humboldt County Sheriff Dean Kruger. She faces charges of sex abuse in the third degree, child victim, person four or more years old, first offense, and sexual exploitation by a school employee. The first charge is a Class C felony. The second charge is a Class D felony. Kruger said in his media release that the victim was 14 when the accused began the alleged illegal contact with her. The acts were committed between June 2022 and November 1, 2023, in Humboldt County, according to online court records. The victim, who is a minor, turned 16 in late 2023. Because she is a minor, her name will not be published. Kruger said in his media release that authorities were alerted to the alleged crime in September of 2023. The following month, his department contacted the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation for assistance, Throughout the investigation, many interviews were conducted and multiple search warrants were granted for electronic devices, social media platforms, and physical addresses, the Humboldt County Sheriff's release states. As the investigation unfolded, physical evidence, videos, instant messages, and physical contact between the two were discovered. Additionally, social media posts and text messages showed evidence of a sexual and intimate relationship, the criminal complaint states. Meyer Davis was released on a cash bond after her arrest. She is expected back in Humboldt County Court Thursday, the media release from the sheriff states. A no-contact order restraining Meyer Davis from further contact with the victim was filed Friday. In Iowa, conviction of a Class C felony can result in up to 10 years in prison and a fine of up to $10,000. Conviction of a Class D felony can result in up to 5 years in prison and a fine up to $7,500. Mike Tripp watched Monday as his home burned, a complete section of his lower right pant leg missing and the skin underneath it scorched to a second-degree burn. He swigged from a bottle of water. On a day when nearly the entire state of Iowa was under a red flag and fire warning, Tripp made a fateful choice. The house fire was a result. Tripp said he'd been outside torching when sparks blew onto the straw bales. He'd stacked around the house's foundation to protect against cold weather. When the bales caught fire on the unusually warm winter day, he tried to stamp it out. He lost his pant leg and the home at five two five Oak Street in Camrar. The Camrar, Stanhope, and Jewel Fire Departments mustered to the afternoon call. Kamarar called for mutual aid from the others at 2.56 p.m. They supplied tankers and manpower, but the wind moved the blaze efficiently. A red flag warning is an alert for extreme fire danger due to weather patterns. The National Weather Service issued the red flag warning due to high temperatures, dry conditions, and winds blowing from the south at 15 to 25 miles an hour with gusts up to 35 mph for most of the day. Tripp, who has lived in Camar for 19 years, could only watch. Leap day will be an opportunity for Webster County Conservation to leap into a little fun while raising funds for a special project at the new River's Edge Discovery Center. Area residents are invited to bone up on winter trivia, leap day facts, perhaps take a hint from the theme for the night, it's for the birds, and come for a night of learning and fun at River Hops Brewery. The Trivia Night is sponsored in cooperation with the Webster County Friends of Conservation, according to Brody Bertram, Trails and Park Technician for the department. Proceeds from the evening will help support construction of a MODIS bird tracking tower planned at the Discovery Center. The evening will get underway with happy hour beginning at 5.30 p.m. on Leap Day Thursday at River Hops, 1014 Central Avenue trivia will begin at 6.30 p.m. Information on signing up is available at Webster County Conservation's Facebook page or by calling Conservation. The Friends of Conservation is a nonprofit group that really helps us out a lot, Bertram said. The group has been key in providing funds to help programming, special events, and the new River's Edge Discovery Center. Bertram said the center is going to be a hub for our environmental education program and give people yet another way to come and experience nature, both inside the center and outside. While the exterior of the building is complete, work is still underway inside, including exhibits, natural displays, and more. Bertram noted, we're hoping for a grand opening in late summer or early fall. (laughs) Located near the Des Moines River in Fort Dodge, the center is all based around water. But the river is much more than just a flowing body of water; it's an ecosystem, a critical natural resource not only to wildlife that make their home in Webster County but also to thousands of migratory birds that just pass through. Hence the motivation for the new modus tracking tower to be featured at the trivia night. Bertram is pleased to welcome Anna Burkhart Thomas, a biologist and avian ecologist for the Iowa DNR, as special guest for the evening. There will be six rounds of trivia, including time for Burkhart Thomas to speak briefly on the MODIS Tower and how it can help scientists learn about migrating populations of wildlife. I learned about MODIS about a year ago, Bertram said. It's a wildlife tracking system, and it's all based off radio telemetry. Such tracking systems for wildlife have been used to track a variety of wildlife for many years. MODIS is actually an international tracking effort that was started by Birds Canada. It allows researchers literally across the globe to simultaneously track huge numbers of birds, bats, and even insects. There are MODIS receivers in 34 countries with more than 350 species tagged to date and the program continues to grow. Bertram is pleased that the Friends of Conservation Group is actively supporting the local MODIS project through the Leap Day Trivia Night. The Des Moines River is an important resource to migrating waterfowl, and the MODIS Tower will help collect data on how and when the river is being utilized by these avian guests of the river. Bertram said we'll understand more why they are traveling through our state, what Iowa is offering to those birds. It's just all sorts of amazing statistics that MODIS will gather. Already, 16 individuals have signed up for the trivia night, and more are always welcome. Folks are invited to compete individually or as teams, It's a casual night of fun competition focused on learning and supporting conservation efforts, according to Bertram. There will be a great variety of prizes, courtesy of a number of local businesses. Among the prizes will be a pizza and also a pretzel appetizer provided by River Hops Brewing. Bertram issued his thanks to River Hops and all the sponsors who helped make the night a success. There are no obituaries to read today. But in sports, excuse Dick Youngers if he takes a few extra minutes to enjoy this coming week. While the Newell Fonda girls head coach is no stranger to state trips, this one holds a little extra meaning for him. The second rank, mustangs begin their quest for another crown when they face calamus wheatland wednesday night inside wells fargo arena in the quarterfinals at 5 p.m not only is this the seventh consecutive state appearance for one of the more decorated small school programs in the state it is the 15th under youngers why is that number important because a certain senior was hanging around the team during that very first appearance all those years ago. Kiera Youngers, his daughter, is one of four seniors on the current roster, along with Greta Larson, the daughter of longtime assistant Kevin Larson, Isabel Bartek, and McKenna Severs. "'When Kevin and I started this, I never imagined it would grow into what it has become,' an emotional Younger said following the regional final." They were the water girls for those teams, and got to experience it all. The only blemishes on the record for the Mustangs this year came in close setbacks to top-ranked 2A and fellow state qualifier Esterville, L.C. Outside of those two games, Newell Fonda scored over 90 points three times, including a season-high 105, while surpassing 70 in 15 others. Youngers, Junior Kinsey, Hinders, Severs, and Bartek all averaged double figures as the team made 179 three-pointers on the year. During the regular season, the Mustangs defeated fellow 1A state qualifier and two-time defending champion Bishop Garrigan, 72-51, and top 2A state qualifier Sioux Central, 48-38, Those are the only losses for both teams this year. New Fonda claimed three straight state titles from 2019 through 2021 and are four-time champions overall with five runner-up finishes, including last year. Calamus Wheatland survived Danville in the regional final to advance to state for the first time in program history. The Warriors have won 14 straight and went 12-0 in the Tri-Rivers Conference East Division. They are led by seniors Emily Bookman and Kaylee Hill, who are both averaging around 13 points a night. Hill will play at St. Ambrose University next year. Over the last five seasons, Calamus-Wheatland has gone 85-32. They were ousted in a regional semifinal by North Lynn last year. Awaiting the winner between Newell Fonda and Calamus Wheatland will be either Remsen St. Mary's or Martinsdale St. Mary's in Friday's semifinals. The other side of the bracket sees North Lynn take on Montezuma and Bishop Garrigan battle Council Bluffs St. Albert. The championship game is scheduled for Saturday at 7 p.m. Coming out of Gainesville, Florida, standing in the middle of what is known around the college football world as the Swamp, the Iowa Central rugby team successfully navigated the murky waters. The Tritons secured an automatic bid to the upcoming college rugby championships later this year by winning the Sunshine Sevens title this past weekend. Iowa Central will compete against the best 32 teams in the country in Washington, D.C. April 26th and 27th for the first time in three years. We played hard and really got after it, ICCC head coach Brent Nelson said. I have to give Triton assistant coach Joe Lippert a lot of credit. He has put in a lot of work along with assistants Quinton Gilligan and Casey Hansen. During the event, the Tritons finished 4-1, with the lone loss coming in the opening match to Notre Dame. Iowa Central would avenge that two-point defeat in the finals, taking out the fighting Irish. They also picked up wins over Auburn, Clemson, and Queens. We were pretty excited with what we had in terms of sevens, Nelson said. We didn't have the kind of season in 15s we wanted, but we knew that we had the chance to do something special in the 7s. We have three explosive players from the Iowa high school ranks, a couple guys from all over the country that have played high-level 7s, and a couple international students who are dynamic. We also got Wayne Cosper back to the team, which has been great. The Tritons will continue to compete throughout the coming weeks before preparing for a run at the national title. Nelson also made mention of the ability to prepare for the tournament, thanks in large part to the recent weather conditions and installation of a new turf field on campus. And for some news coming out of Pomeroy. There's a magic place called Byron's out among the fields of corn and soybeans. To get there, you only have to drive to Pomeroy, then find the small towns downtown. Look for a row of storefronts built in 1893. The one you want is on the south end. It's the only one actually occupied. The others are long-closed. The building is falling apart and the sidewalk is blocked off by orange safety fence to keep pedestrians off. Once inside, finding Byron's owner, Byron Stewart, won't be hard at all. He's usually down at the end of the bar in Byron's chair. He is a smiling, bald man with a closely cropped, neat beard and overalls, some sort of tie-dyed shirt, and in one of his hundreds of pairs of crocked shoes. Stewart directs the magic of live music that only happens once at Byron's. I knew what I wanted music here, he said. The first artist was Larry Meyer. On March 4, 2001, I had my first national act, Todd Snyder canned heat played here for my 50th birthday can you imagine what canned heat thought when they pulled up here that magic has been ongoing almost every sunday evening ever since then the needle got dragged across the record when the city of pomeroy made it known they would like the building byron's is in to be taken down stuart who will tell you he operates on a shoestring budget didn't have the money for the engineering study the city asked for much less renovations but as it turns out he does have a lot of friends who stepped up to save his place Dave Hearn of Fort Dodge is the chair of the Friends of Byron. One of the first things he did was set up a GoFundMe page to raise money. As of Sunday, it's $85 short of $30,000 with a goal of $100,000. Our best option is to move to a new location, Hearn said. We're looking for a place to move to in Pomeroy. Buildings here are not very costly, but to make them habitable is what's going to be costly. If we can raise a $100,000, we feel we can get Byron an opportunity in short order. The group didn't stop with an online fundraiser. They've already organized the first of a series of concerts to help raise the money to save Byron's. We've got musicians that want to do something, he said. Byron's is really not a place; it's a community. There's a lot of musicians that can't imagine not having that to come to. The first Iowa roots for Byron's concert is three to eight p.m. on March third in the historic Phillips Auditorium, ten fifteen Fifth Avenue North. VIP tickets sold out in hours. General admission tickets are still available on Eventbrite.com. Musicians include Chad Elliott, Jordan Moserol, Todd Partridge, Dave Zolo, the Weary Ramblers, David Huckfeldt, Joe and Vicky Price, Dave Moore, and Greg Brown. Hearn said, they're all Iowa legends. Joe and Vicki Price are both Iowa Blues Hall of Fame members. They're also proud veterans of many shows at Byron's. We first played here maybe 20 years ago, Price said. It's been a long time. The first time Joe went to Byron's, he came home and told me about the place. This guy is great, he said. Next time, I went. I said, what are we doing in this place in the middle of nowhere? Who's going to come here? Vicky Price loves everything about the place. Stuart, the wall-to-wall Grateful Dead decor, but mostly the fact that Byron's is a listening room. The family of patrons is there to immerse themselves in the music. Chad Elliot of Jefferson will be playing the March 3rd concert, too. I first played Byron's in 2011, he said. I remember loving it. I'd been wanting to play there. It became family immediately after that first gig. I felt like it was a perfect gathering of people who appreciate music who get up and dance. He also appreciates that the audience doesn't expect the same show he played somewhere else a month before. Elliot has been instrumental in reaching out to the other musicians that are playing the first show. They're calling him now. Elliott is also contributing prints of one of his paintings. Other artists have contributed works as well. They will be sold on an online auction. And that does it for today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Tuesday, February 27, 2024. I'm your reader, Grace Barter. You can access a recording of today's reading on our website, Iowa Radio dot org anytime. Thanks for listening.